what I'm hoping I'm done in the commentary is what the text says. What does this text actually say? What does that sentence mean? God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusted him would not self-destruct, but have deep lasting life. What does what does that really mean? And I try to find, and in the Greek word, what does that actually mean? What's the nuance? So I try to teach in my in my commentaries what each sentence in this book I'm studying means. They have the challenge of taking that meaning and translating it into human illustration and talk. I, I haven't been good in human illustrations. I would often ask Kathy when we're driving home from Sunday school, Kathy, what's the main thing about the need that I have in my class today? And she said, earth, earth. I remember she was saying that earth, because I am not very earthy. And uh, that's something that preachers, I think, are enabled to be because they're counseling with people. They're out meeting people. They're having all kinds of human conversations, not just book conversation. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 228. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is that of my favorite living commentator, Dr. Frederick Dale Bruner. Dr. Bruner has received degrees from Princeton and from the University of Hamburg and is most well known for his two volume commentary on Matthew's Gospel, as well as his excellent John commentary and a recently published shorter commentary on the letter to the Romans, um, all of which have been published by Erdman's. Um, his writing is well-researched, it is historically informed, and it displays a genuine love for the church and a heartfelt devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. You're in for a treat. I recorded this episode a few days before Dr. Bruner's 90th birthday. And so you're about to hear the combined accumulation of nine decades of scholarship, teaching, service, not only from Dale, but his wife, Kathy, chimes in a few times with wisdom of her own. So I'm going to get out of your way. And I hope that this episode and all that we do at Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective uh, podcast. I'm thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Frederick Dale Bruner. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this conversation. Yes. Let me just start, start off. I've been quoting you for years. And I've been quoting you as Frederick Bruner. Um, and I, I put you on the slides as Frederick Bruner. I quote you as Frederick. And then recently I've discovered that's not the name that you go by. So right, I don't right. know what to do now in future times when I quote you in public to <laughs> reference you as, as Dale Bruner or go back yeah. to Yes, Dale is good. All right. So Dale, can you tell us about the first time that you taught the Bible? Yes. Uh, the summer before I graduated from Princeton Seminary, Dr. Henry Demers, who was the major influence in our life and the teacher of the college department at the First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, did me the honor, invited me the summer before I graduated to teach her Sunday school class. She'd been teaching for some 20 years 
fabulously. I don't know if you've heard of the Henrietta Mears College Department Sunday School class, but it was deeply influential. And uh, yeah, I actually actually have I have her. Um, yeah, what's the Bible all about? Book, and I've been referencing yes. it for quite a long time. It's a great, great one volume set. Yeah, but she's the most important person that Kathy and I have ever met. We named our second son Michael Mears Bruner, and so she taught uh, invited me to teach her Sunday school class for the three months, uh, June, July, and August, and uh, live in her mansion in Bel Air. Bill and Vonette Bright, of the founders of Campus Crusade for Christ, lived on the other half of her mansion. I lived down in the servant quarters, and I taught. Uh, every Sunday, the book of Acts, she gave me the the book to teach, the book of Acts. And uh, that was my first Sunday school class. My first, you asked my first sermon, but since I'm not a preacher, Sunday school, wherever I've been, every Sunday, I have taught a Sunday school class in the Philippines and in Spokane and Whitworth University and now at Hollywood for the last several years. And uh, so I'm just a Sunday school teacher. And I, I don't know. So, so your first class then it, it wasn't a once-off message. It was the whole book of Acts. It sounds yeah. Like. So first eight verses, I think, of Acts one, and then we. I, I don't know how far we got, but June, July, and August, I taught every Sunday uh, the book of Acts. Yeah. Uh, and it was, <laughs> but you know the main thing that happened to me that's that summer. I don't. Miss Mears said to me in the middle of the summer, Dale. I think the man who marries Kathy Booth will never have an unhappy day in his life. Yeah. And I got the message. <laughs> I had read in the Bible somewhere, Sunday school teachers should not date their girls, the girls in their Sunday school class. So I was not, I wasn't there to date anybody. Come on. So I gave it a try. And man has been the major person in my life, Kathy, Catherine Booth Bruner. So even... I found Christ through her college department as a, a young student. I found Kathy, my wife, through Henrietta Mears, that suggestion. And I found my calling to be a Bible teacher and all through Dr. Henrietta Mears. Uh, How deeply grateful I am. Yeah. Yeah. And wow, that's that's great. And it's, it's been wonderful to, to meet Kathy earlier in this in this call. And is she in the room right now? Can she say hi? Yes. Can you say <laughs> I'm come, here. Come, come here. I'm say, I want to see your face. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah. recording. They're okay. not, they're not going to see things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. Fine. Well, she's great. She's great. Thank you. I'm grateful for her. Deeply grateful for her. <laughs> um, so in it, yeah, so that's, that is wonderful. And, and what was it like to teach? I suppose, were you teaching in the presence of Henrietta Mears or are you teaching in her stead? Was she there auditing in the back or was she taking some time off? Yes. Good question. She was there for all of these classes. Okay. And I would ask her afterwards, what would you suggest and where did you, where do you think it was weak and where do you think it was helpful? So it, it was a deep honor to have the personal advice and counsel of Dr. Henry De Beers. Uh well yeah, she's someone I've only benefited from from her writings, but yeah. you've been yeah, experienced yeah, that that tutelage and that that feedback. Do you, does any I realize this is going back quite a few years, but do you remember any particular bits of feedback from her, maybe something that was incredibly useful or something that stung that you remember all these years later? Yeah, excellent question. I, I, I deeply remember one particular remark. I've, Dr. Mears, if it's true that 
there's a salvation only in Christ. What about all the people who didn't get to hear about him? And she replied right off the top, Genesis 15, 28. She even had the numbers. Dale, Genesis 15, 28. Shall not the judge of all the earth do rightly? That was a deeply satisfying. He will be so fair. He'll know how much opportunity people have had and all the rest. But the fact that that very chapter and verse came to her mind, that has been deeply helpful ever since. Hmm. What if I'd been born in Madagascar rather than in uh, Hollywood near the finest college Bible teacher in the world? Yeah. So that was feedback in regards to, let's say, like a, a theological question. But but yes. during those months of teaching, of your teaching in her yes. presence, did yes. she ever give you, let's say, coaching or or critique of your teaching style? Or did you ever make any mistakes in her presence? Yeah, well, you know, interesting question. One challenge that she gave to me influenced my whole theological life right up to today. She said to me one day, Dale, I've never known a man of God. That was the phrase she used. Dale, I've never known a man of God who hasn't had a second crisis experience with the Lord. Well, she didn't teach that in her classes herself, but she had second blessing teachers at her uh, college briefing conference up at Forest Home every year. It was annual college briefing conference. And uh, Major Ian Thomas was the main second blessing teacher who came. And uh, he said, the key to a Christian life is Christ in you. She said, he would say to us college students there at that conference, all of you believe in Christ outside of you, but the key to the Christian life is Christ inside you. Christ in me, the hope of glory, Paul wrote. And uh, so he said, but in order to have Christ in you and he held up a wine glass, you need to be a perfectly clean glass. You need to be completely yielded. And I would go out in the forest and try to be completely yielded, and I'd come back and see a pretty girl, and I'd have to go back out in the forest again. I could never be this pure vessel. So when I went to Hamburg, Germany, University of Hamburg, for my doctoral work, Dr. Freitag asked me, walking down the street in Hamburg, uh, Mr. Brunner, what would you most like? I said, Dr. Freitag, I'd like to study the second blessing. And uh, I told him Miss Muir's remark. And he said, well, Dale, the, Mr. Brunner, I think he called me, the main missionary movement in the world today is the Pentecostal movement, which has a second blessing teaching at the very heart. Why don't you study the Pentecostal movement and compare it and its teaching on the New Testament and compare it with the New Testament's teaching on the Holy Spirit? Well, that challenge was paradise for two to three years. I just plunged into all the literature, and there isn't a lot of it at that time in Pentecostalism, and uh, then the New Testament's teaching. So uh, your question was, how does she influence you? Can you see that was a deep influence, that very question about the second blessing? Uh, well, and, and that then spun into, yeah, your your doctoral thesis, and then yes. and then uh, the popular level book that came out of that later on, is yes. that right? Yeah, the, the, the name of the book, Erdman's published it, is A Theology of the Holy Spirit. That was the title. And yeah. the subtitle was The Pentecostal Experience and the New Testament Witness. Yeah. So it was thrilling to spend three years in the library at the University of Hamburg plunging into the 
Pentecostalism and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It was just paradise. I'm deeply grateful. Yeah. So even that quest, even that remark she made me, Dale, I've never known a man of God. So on. Can you see how Henry and Amir's the man who marries Kathy Booth will never have an unhappy day in his life? Yes. I remember Dan Bumgarner asked me in a dialogue sermon at Hollywood Press, Dale, what has Hollywood Church ever done for you? I said, well, not a lot, Dan. I've only found Christ here, Kathy, my wife, and my calling to be a Bible teacher, but otherwise it hasn't done a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So on, on that third and final blessing about the calling you said to be a, a Bible teacher, I mean, yes. was there a a moment? Was there a, a spiritual experience where you realized the call to be a Bible teacher? Or was it a combination? Well, yeah, I'd love to hear about your experience of discovering that God's called you to be a teacher. You ask excellent questions, by the way, Mike, and I'm deeply grateful for that. You're very kind. <laughs> no, but that's the truth. I went to seminary with four of us, Don Muma, Ted Nissen, Dick Jacobs, and myself. We drove 3,000 miles from Hollywood to Princeton and back every Christmas and New Year's and back and forth. And uh, they loved working with Earl Palmer. He was their fifth member of our group at the Princeton University campus. And we met once a week with a group there. And then each of us had two different guys at Princeton University that we talked with every week. But uh, I discovered I loved studying more than evangelizing and discipling. And I kind of felt guilty about that, kind of was selfish. I like to be in the library rather than over on the Princeton University campus witnessing and so on. And then a speaker, and he was a liberal too, and a, and a Pasadena Presbyterian Church gave us a chapel talk on 1 Corinthians 12, that there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of ministry, but the same Lord, varieties. And he went into it, how we all have different callings. And I came out of that chapel, Dale, your calling is to be in the library. Don't feel guilty. It's just a different calling. So I've never been a pastor. That I just am surrounded with books. I remember when I taught 1 Corinthians 12 in my Sunday school class at Hollywood Press. See, some of your hands, some of your feet, some ears, and so on. And so I asked the class, what is the special part of the body of Christ that each of you is? And Kathy, my wife, raised her hand. She said, my husband has one spiritual gift, an iron butt. He can sit in the library for 12 hours a day and so on. How, how do you like that? But unfortunately, it's rather true. Rather than being out with people like the pastors are and good teachers and counselors, I'm in my study all day long. Books never talk back. You pull them off the shelf. They open up. They do I don't have any arguments or controversies or human interactions. It's purely books. I don't know what that tells you about me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, yeah. Okay. I had, um, I was texting before this interview uh, with a, like a very thoughtful young man who's actually a, a part of, a part of my church. His name is Silvano. He is one of our young adult leaders and He's one of the few people actually in, in my church who actually listened to this podcast. <laughs> um, and he's he was listening to a recent episode about evangelism where kind of I made a comment about that um, some, some pastors and teachers 
like are not maybe comfortable, might not feel as if evangelism is their thing. And that kind of prompts in some dialogue between myself and him about like even Ephesians 4.11 and the various giftings and like the role of, let's say, a pastor teacher that can be, not always, but can be distinct from evangelist. Yes, yes. So, so you've kind of have discovered that about yourself? Is that is that what came, acro- came across? Yes, I can tell you a story about evangelism. It was the major evangelistic experience of my life. Bill and Von Bright lived in the other half of Miss Mears Mansion in Bel Air, and they were very influential, and they started Campus Crusade for Christ. Maybe you've heard of that movement. And uh, I was at Occidental College during those uh, college years, and Bill was not impressed that I had never witnessed to anybody at Occidental College. What I wish he had said was invite them to the college department and invite them to church and so on. But it was personal. He'd get on an airplane and before the man sitting next to him landed and he, the man would want be one to Christ. So I felt very ashamed that I had not been a witness. So one Sunday, we had a Sunday night service. I was going up the stairs to the Sunday and I said to myself, Bruner, you have been a coward now for four years as a Christian turn around and you go back to Hollywood Boulevard and you witness to somebody and stop being a wimp. And so I did a U-turn. I can show you the very step where that happened. And I turned around and I walked down a block, Hollywood and Gower to Hollywood Boulevard. It's a Gower intersection of the churches on. And there was a Marine there. And I sat down next to him and I said, hello. And he said, hello. And I said, have you ever thought about Jesus Christ? And he said to me, if you don't get out of here in 10 seconds, I'm going to smash you right in the mouth. That was my first evangelistic attempt, which is stupid to begin with. I mean, that's, I, I didn't know how. Well, my dad taught me never run away from a fight, son, but this would have been ridiculous. So I left in 10 seconds. But as I walked away, I said, Bruner, you are a jerk. Don't start with that. Start with a normal conversation and then gradually. So I went down the street, out of the side of the Marine down Hollywood Boulevard, about two blocks. And I sat down to an older gentleman and we got a normal conversation and the bus came and took him. I said to myself, Dale, I don't think you have a gift of evangelism. I don't know what that tells you about me, uh, Mikey. You, I, I, I've, but Well, okay. But when you use that iron butt of yours and when yeah. you sit in the library for for that time and when you produce the type of content that you have been producing for for decades and when it reaches me and i get to read it like it 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 it, it evangelizes me every single time i i have like that is so encouraging fresh encounters with like the real jesus you know through your translations through your comments and it helps me to preach better and encourages me as someone who is kind of gifted both as a, you know, an adequate teacher and preacher, and then also an adequate evangelist, you know, um, it's not fair. It's because you got all the the teaching gifts and then the rest of us are scrambling for the scraps of the table, <laughs> but you're, you're helping me and, and others. And I certainly do appreciate that. Well, thank you. I just salute all of you who preach. I, the main thing I remember from my preaching class at Princeton Seminary was he said, uh, the professor of, of uh, preaching, he said, if we who preach had x-ray eyes and could see beneath the fine suits and beautiful dresses of our congregants in front of us, 
and could see into their hearts and what's going on, we would break down and bawl. I still remember that. The preachers, they speak to the heart of people. I hope I speak to the minds, but you who preach, those people there in front of you, boy, my hat's off to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. There's there's a lot of a lot of grief. There's a broken heart in every pew, as as I've said. Yeah, and yeah. However, yes. So your books have informed my head. But I mean, just I mean, there'll be links in the show notes. Those that are listening to this podcast, you can you can find links to the to the Matthew commentary, the two parts, the Gospel of John, the recently published um, Romans commentary, and they're heady. But I just want to say, like, they reach my heart very deeply. Um, as I was saying to you before we hit record, I actually have to structure my sermon prep time that I always save yours for the end as kind of like the dessert, because I feel like you are pastoring me through this and just want to like honor you and say how much I do appreciate you and, and your writing and how, you know, I have been like relentlessly hyping your books (laughs) to anyone uh, that I know that is teaching Matthew or John or Romans. And I just say, you gotta buy this. You gotta buy this uh, because so much, I guess, comes through this, and I'm I'm uniquely appreciative. Yeah, so encouraging. Thank you very much. Well, you should know. So there's people like me who really benefit from your time at that home office or at the library, at the hunched over that computer, reading those books, writing those things. Thank you very very much. You made my goal. You're evangelizing more than you know. Okay. Well, okay. So here's here's a question. So you began teaching in kind of a a, a Hollywood setting, and you teaching. And then you ended up teaching in in the Philippines. And I know that there was some encounters or some experiences or understandings that took place there that changed your approach to Bible communication. I'd I'd love to hear more about that. I'd love to share it too. And it was really, we were so grateful to be invited to come to Union Theological Seminary Philippines. They'd moved out into the boondocks. That's a Filipino word, by the way, for the hills. And and was out in this sort of the jungles, like and I started lecturing. This is my first call after University of Hamburg. And uh, I lectured at a, de- at a podium reading my lectures. That's what they did in Princeton, and that's what they did at Hamburg. My students were falling asleep. I mean, every teacher knows that, or preacher. That's the kiss of disaster. And I thought, apparently, this is not working. So I began to draw stick figures on the whiteboard. And then I began walking around the room and I began playing records of music. And I, my whole teaching method in my, we were there 11 years, I went from being a pulpit or a lectern teacher to a person in and around the room. And uh, it completely changed. And one other thing that happened that changed me, I, began with uh, Luther's large catechism because it was the most helpful brief thing that I, and then tried Calvin, but these, they were all too Western. Mm. And I still had my students nodding, even though I was moving around the room and doing all these other things. And one Sunday, because I, I taught the Sunday school class at Simbahan Sanayon, our little local barrio church, because the Sunday school teaching is sort of my <laughs> main calling almost. And one of the students who was falling asleep in my class was present in my Sunday school, and he was wide awake, 
as I taught Matthew's gospel. Yeah. And I said to myself, maybe I should teach theology, doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the church, and the rest, by going through gospel stories. And that's what plunged me into Matthew. And that's where my Matthew commentary was teaching like chapter one is the genealogy of Jesus and his birth and so on, the doctrine of God and then the Holy Spirit. You've got God, the Father sending the Son, the Son, the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Chapter two is Herod, the human, doctrine of man, sin, the Magi, grace, doctrine of humanity, chapter two. Chapter three, baptism, doctrine of initiation. So I started teaching systematic theology, which was my assignment through gospel stories. So uh, that's sort of my ex- initial teaching experience in the Philippines. Yeah. Has has that been done before? What do you mean? Like, did, did you invent that? <laughs> well, I don't know that I invented it. I just fell into it I, from desperation. Yeah. And I'll never forget that waking student in my Sunday school class at Simbans on Ion, yeah. He was wide, wide, he was totally listening to what I was saying about the story. Yeah. Whereas when I was teaching the doctrines, yeah, yeah. He was falling asleep. So that's what got me into the whole gospel commentary thing was the, the horrendous experience in class. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's well, it's yeah, it's it's um it's remarkable, it's it's notable, it's very distinct. And uh, in God's providence, that slumbering student has sparked something that has benefited so many. Well, I'm very grateful, of course, for that experience. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, to those seminarians who are listening, who knows when you fall asleep in class, what what wonderful <laughs> chain of events you might be setting off. <laughs> yes, exactly. What a ministry that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you you mentioned like you you've spoken a few different times in this conversation about like the, the difference between like Bible teachers and then and then preachers and you yes. kind of commended preachers and then spoken of yourself as as a teacher. I, I'd love to kind of come back to that. Like what what do you see as the differences between a Bible teacher and a Bible preacher? Yes, and I've r- written all these things down from your excellent questions. And what I have here is. And the question, what are the main differences between, you notice between teaching and preaching? A, teaching is give and take uh, discussions as you go along, whereas preaching is proclamation right to people. But I pause it, everyone, what do you feel about this? And have you had this experience? So you you teach just so long, and then you ask them, how, how does this strike you? So uh, the teaching, the difference is, is would be the phrase give and take, having discussions all the way through. And then I would have after my class at Hollywood, for example, getting to know you times after the church, then they would go, go to Sunday school, then to church. I'd have a table and uh, did it alphabetically. All the, student, the people in the class whose names ended with A and then B and C. And I went to getting to know you, finding out about them asking them, where do you come from and what's your main experience? And so that's the difference. Give and take, I would say, is teaching. Yeah. And yeah. preaching is, is speaking right to the heart of people. Yeah. And have you, you have tried preaching before. Yes, you have, you have preached. Well, I have preached, but it's very rare. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I can't, I'm, I have no good, helpful advice from a preacher. 
Okay. Well, I mean, just out of curiosity, so do do you enjoy it? It seems that you you enjoy that give and take. That's, I do. That's, very. Evidence. that's really evident. Yes, I really do enjoy the give and take. And the, what do you think about this? And this is my opinion, but do you have a different, like that one about what part of the body of Christ are you? And hmm. Kathy's helpful answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Well, this is like, as as somebody who, you know, tries to engage in like group Bible study and there's there's a whole just different dynamic that comes with it. And you might be a perfect experienced person to answer this. Like, what do you do with with bad answers? Or, or when when people just really just steer things totally wrong, um, there's got to be a gracious way of, of bringing it back. Do you have any any tips on that? No, and you didn't ask that in your written. And so I know I, I didn't. So. I know, and I haven't given, I haven't, what do I do with that answer? I don't I think I just, does anybody else have something to say? <laughs> I don't think I did any correcting. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, yep. Or you just do what you just did. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if that was a bad question. Um, okay. So um, now you, you, you write, and I, I've, I've read elsewhere that you consider that like writing for the church is like the highest calling of, of an exegete. And that's, that's what you've, you've been doing. And so you are like a, a teacher or a writer talking to a, a reader and a preacher. And most of the listeners to the show, like we're all preachers. How, like, what kind of advice would you give to us as we go to your book or other commentaries for, for resources? Or essentially, how would you like your book to be read? Well, you know, you help me here. Who am I talking to? Who are the, just give me kind of a, an overview of, so I know how to answer this question intelligently. Okay, you are talking to, you're talking to some bivocational preachers. You're talking to youth pastors. They're not full-time staff. They, they, they're a plumber by day and then they pastor, um, on, on their alleged free time, but they're not paid by the church. Yeah. Young or new or up and coming Bible teachers who have, let's say a small library and they are trying to get the most out of the books that they read. Yes. Yes. And so now what is your question again? (laughs) How should they use your books or how, how should, I guess, books be used in preparation for Bible talks or sermons? Yeah, I'm, what I'm hoping I'm done in the commentary is what the text says. What does this text actually say? What does that sentence mean? God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusted him would not self-destruct, but have deep lasting life. What does What does that really mean? And I try to find and in the Greek word, what does that actually mean? What's the nuance? So I try to teach in my in my commentaries what a sentence in what each sentence in this book I'm studying means. They have the challenge of taking that meaning and translating it into human illustration and talk. Uh, I, I haven't been good in human illustrations. I would often ask Kathy when we're driving home from Sunday school, Kathy, what's the main thing about need that I have in my class today? And she said, earth, earth. I remember she was saying that earth, because I am not very earthy. And uh, that's something that preachers, I think, are enabled to be because they're counseling with people. They're out meeting people. They're having all kinds of human, con- human conversations, not just book conversations. Mm, mm, mm. And, uh, so 
I don't know if I've answered your question, but that's my attempt at it. Yeah, yeah. So so don't be going to your book or or maybe any book for like il- illustrations. No. Um, it's no. it's it's to help understand the text. It's and to then understand the, the text. Yeah. And then the role of the teacher or preacher is is to try to yeah, embody it and yes. And and to contextualize it, and to yes. and then pray really hard for the people you're going to talk to, and then yes. and then see what how does how does this truth from God meet the collection of human need that's present on this Sunday morning or on this Wednesday night or whatever gathering it is. I like the noun you use, need. What is the need? The truth. That's what I'm trying to get mm-hmm. at. What does mm-hmm. this text honestly say? They then, the preacher, is to apply it to the needs of these hurting and needy people out there. And that's that takes a lot of empathy and, and love. Yeah. 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 And may, yeah, may, may he help us to A, to understand, and then B, to then to then communicate it in the right way to the right people at the right time. You got it. That was exactly it. Yeah. Well, um, so I I've noticed, so I I I, are you approaching your 90th birthday? Is that, am I, have my research been, has it, has it right? Yes. In a couple of days, I'll be 90. In a couple of days. Yeah. Well, so maybe the, the final question for this is like, how, how are you currently trying to, to grow? You're, you're about to enter your ninth decade yes. and you've been teaching the Bible for many of those decades. Like, are there ways that you're still trying to, to improve as a, spoken communicator as a bible as a sunday school teacher as a as a writer what are the ways you want to get better thank you for asking that and i'm grateful by the way for your very thoughtful questions i'm plunging into isaiah 53 i hope my last the years that i can i find it the deepest prediction and description of jesus suffering and his final resurrect his substitution he was wounded for our iniquities he was bruised for our sins the the substitutionary character of isaiah 53 so when you ask what i'm plunging with my last main task it's i would love to write a commentary in isaiah 53 so i'm doing my hebrew grammar and i go through the bible like in january it's it's matthew and february it's mark and in uh, uh, march it's luke and See, April was uh, uh, John, and then Acts this month. That's what I've been doing for my whole life, ever since Princeton, I think, is I call it Gospel House, and I go a chapter a day through it. Now I'm doing that with Isaiah and his Hebrew, and I'm getting my Hebrew grammar, and I'm doing the servant songs, 42, 49, 50, and 53. I want <laughs> That's what I want to do. Is that what your question was? What do I want to do next? No, but I loved hearing this. <laughs> what a, what a bonus. What a wonderful bonus. Um, I, I suppose, like, I, I wonder, like, what what are you trying to not only do, but, like, is there anything you're trying to, to get better at? Um, I, I doubt that you feel that you've arrived. Um, oh, please. How, how would you like to keep growing even into your ninth decade? Yes, well, Hebrew, I want to, I'd like to be as fluent in Hebrew as I am in English, I just would love to, and be able to really see the meanings of those nouns and verbs in Isaiah 53. And what do they mean then? And uh, that, so the whole new challenge of being a New Testament Greek scholar, 
being an Old Testament Hebrew scholar is the big challenge of my 90th decade. My wow. 90th decade. Yeah. And then also, is there just like, just in general, like you're, you're almost 90, like what, what, what else is there? Like, what do you want? What do you want to like bequeath or leave to like the, the world? Not that you're leaving and, and take your vitamins, keep exercising. We need you as long as we could get you. Um, But like, like how, what, what do you wish that like 39 year old pastors knew? And what did you wish that like, if you could be 39 all over again, what are the kind of just general wisdom that you wish you had at, at my age? Can I interject? Yes, Kathy. And you, can you come over here, Kathy. No, I just want My to wife's say, interjecting. Yes, go ahead. What do you, how do you want to change as a human being? How do I want to change yes, as a human there, being? There are only churches and big congregations. Yes. There's families. Yes. 39 year old pastors and, and guys learning to be pastors. Yes. What about their families? Yes. And a hot shot and that's. Yeah. Okay. So my wife is constantly giving me a counsel. From yeah. You I, know, I, I, I can hear that. And you know what she's saying? Earth, earth, earth. <laughs> that's, that's what she's saying. And I, <laughs> I went over your questions with her. And here's what she said How are you growing as a husband, father, and grandfather? And here's what Kathy said. I've never learned to play. I've I've never learned to have, I never had a hobby. I'm with my family. I need to put my work aside and try to listen and talk more. And that is a real lacuna, Mike. And for anybody that gets so, so fired up about the mission, but they don't learn to play themselves and play with their family. And Dale's been really trying on that. But that is a hard thing to learn when you're 85 to 90. So there. Hey, how, how helpful is that? Kathy, can you get me that picture? The Michael oh, picture? Yes, yes. I want to show you. I mean, my family's relation to me is interesting. Okay. This is. They love him, Mike. Yeah. But he's a. Yeah. This is a picture. And it's my favorite picture in my in my study. And it, okay. it's called Michael's Family Animals. Kathy's parents, when we were in the Philippines, sent us this clipping from the LA Times. Tell your youngster to draw a picture of dad as though the man were some kind of animal. Most children so directed in a California project sketch their fathers as lions. So we told Michael, not this that point, but we he said Michael. Four. He, was four. he was four years old. 1969, Michael, four years old. He drew this. You can see it. And I'll tell you what the pictures are. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of an odd glare, but I I can see a bit of it. They can't see them, can they? But I'll tell you what they are. (laughs) Uh, Mommy is a baby birdie. And she's the biggest one. She she takes, she's the biggest thing on the picture. Second, Mickey. That's what Michael's nickname was. He's a monkey eating eagle. He's the second biggest. See him? He's He's okay. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Prominent. I'm the, I'm the third one. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. And Michael, his bigger brother, Freddie, is a kingfisher, trained kingfisher. He added. Wow. And he's not as big as his young little brother, <laughs> Daddy, a little ant. I'm a, you right can, there. Right there. You can barely see me on the. There he is. Yeah, most, a few pixels. Most youngsters drew their fathers as lions. Okay. I'm a little ant. What does that tell you about my relationship to my family? Oh, okay. And 
so for the 39 year old version of you, what, what could have been done differently? Ah. Yeah. Well, that what my wife just said to yeah. spend more time with my kids and learn to play. Learn to play. You know, Mike, what he has always said is, Oh, his whole life. My work is my play. If I'm that, my play is my work. Yeah. Baloney. <laughs> Why is that baloney? <laughs> so there, how, how do you like have a, have a husband and wife come to Jesus moment on your show? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking for, uh, forgive me for being distracted. I, I have a book. It's called the um, memoirs of an ordinary pastor uh, oh. by, by DA Carson. I don't know if you're oh, familiar with it. It's yeah. it's a wonderful book. It's it's a kind of biography that he wrote about his dad. And it's it's a very respectful, very honorific kind of just tale of his dad who was a Canadian church planter and went through a lot of hardships and and saw some great, you know, well, some some slow gradual growth. And he has only a few and they're not critiques at all, but they're very respectful, very like just kind of comments. And I think one of them was the the blurring of work and and rest, and saying that like there there wasn't much of a transition between. It was like the the work blurred into rest sometimes, and then but more importantly, the rest blurred into work. And his mom actually said that you know when you work work, when you rest rest. And that's something that I've. It's like um, one of the few highlights that I have in that book. Just that distinction between. Work time being when you really, you have that iron butt, you yes. focus and you you turn off the internet and you just focus yes. and then play, you get on all fours and you do the Legos and you wrestle the kids and you're not thinking about, about work. Good for you. I can tell you're a good father. Oh, I mean, oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> Your kid won't draw you as an aunt. I got. I have a four-year-old, so I'm going to do that well, tonight. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll send you the picture. I'll see how yeah. I turn out. <laughs> Please, that'll be very interesting to me. Michael, yeah, I, I literally have. My, yeah, my four-year-old son Finn is is at home. I'm going to bring a marker and say, "All right, kid." Yeah, draw the family. Yeah, that will be very interesting. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Kathy's got something. Tell just, my, tell. How, how you and your son? Yes, Mike. Yes. Are now writing a book together. Oh yeah, Michael, my the son who drew me as an aunt. Yeah. Is going to add. He wrote his doctoral dissertation at Fuller Seminary on Flannery O'Connor. It's called a subversive gospel, and was published by InterVarsity Press, and it won the uh, Christianity and Literature Award in 2020. And he's going to. I'm writing a comment on the four gospels. It's very. It's going to be. It's called the fourfold gospel. And I've written it, and he has it, and he's going to add the applications because he's very into the world. Great, and, uh, yeah. So that's our present project. So I'm, you know, I got to tell you this: when he was doing Flannery O'Connor, I started reading her because I wanted to uh, converse with Michael about it. I finally told Michael, Michael, I don't get Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> he said, Dad, trying to introduce you to Flannery O'Connor is like trying to introduce a chimp. To the Louvre. <laughs> <laughs> Honor guy, your father and your mother. Yeah, that guy loves referencing you as animals. <laughs> yeah, he does. But at least it's it's a biped this time. So. Yeah, right, right. So I've gone from an ant to a chimp. So I'm I'm growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, on on that note, <laughs> thank you so much, yeah, Dale and Kathy, for uh, such a unique, a once in a lifetime interview. I've never has there been so much spousal input. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I'm deeply grateful for your very thoughtful questions, Mike, and thank you so much. We wish you well. We Mike. wish you well bless in your ministry. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, yeah. And to the listeners of this podcast, I, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. So yes. thank you to the Bruners for this thank wonderful you. conversation. Thank you, all of you. <laughs> so thanks so much to Dale and Kathy for such a special conversation. I, I appreciate you both so much. And in case anyone is wondering, I went home that evening and my four-year-old son drew me as a red panda. So not bad. Could be better. (laughs) Could be worse. Um, Just wanted to fill you in on that important update to this episode. And if you're still here, I want to make sure that you know about our next in-person training weekend. It's for men and women of all ages in Boise, Idaho on October 14th and 15th, hosted by our friends at Calvary Boise. In this interactive seminar, attendees will hear uh, lectures from the front and then meet in groups for mentorship and relational coaching to help you grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Hope to see you in Idaho in October 14th and 15th. God bless.